Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary. With a little bit of a raspy voice today, like a lot of other folk, I've been uh, battling some minor illness this early winter. And so bear with me as I uh, work through the podcast with you today. Hopefully my voice will hold out and it'll be strong till the end. On the Lead On Podcast, as you know, we spend our time talking about practical issues of ministry leadership. In other words, how do you make things happen? How do you actually do ministry? What is involved in being a leader in churches and ministry organizations today? Now, here at Gateway, we've been involved for the past year in a very extensive organizational planning process. Back in 2010, we adopted a uh, 10-year plan called the Diamond Plan, which was supposed to take us to the 2019-2020 year, which is our 75th anniversary as a school. And your 75th anniversary, if you check it online, is uh, a diamond anniversary. That's the special gift you're supposed to exchange. And so, uh, hence the name, the Diamond Plan, was attached to our planning process that was to guide us to our 75th anniversary. Well, we'll be celebrating that anniversary later this year and into next year. And so it's time to redo the process. So starting in early uh, 2018, we started through the process of developing this organizational plan, which will culminate in mid to late 2019 with a new adoption by our board of a plan that will take us into the next decade of the life of our institution. Now, you may be in a much smaller ministry organization that doesn't need to think about a 10-year plan, but, you know, the seminary's a fully formed institution. We've been around for 75 years, and uh, we're a, I like to describe us, you know, as a big, slow aircraft carrier. We, we don't turn quickly. We, we uh, don't maneuver easily. But when we get turned into the wind, we can make a big difference. And so that's what we're trying to do is, you know, redirect the seminary even a little more sharply than it has been straight into the wind so we can launch everything we do and make a dramatic impact. Well, enough of the military analogies. You get the point. Anyway, this planning process has been going on for about a year, and it has about another six months to go. And again, you may not need that long of a process where where you work because you may be in a much more nimble organization or a church plant or something like that where a six-month plan is a long plan. But nevertheless, every organization goes through planning cycles. Uh, Times when you set aside priority time with key leaders to think about the future, where you're going, and how to get there. Now, perhaps on another podcast, I would uh, be glad to lay out some ideas about what that looks like. But today, more than the process, I want to talk today about the perspectives and particularly the, the, the foundations that are necessary before a church or a ministry organization can do a planning process successfully. Now, I learned this over the years, that um, especially in church context, everyone that comes to a church planning process has a has a background in planning in some other field that impacts what they think about when they come to the church situation. Uh, You know, every group, whether it's educators or military or business leaders, every group does organizational planning. And oftentimes people bring that to church and with it they bring a set of expectations. Or in some cases, they bring a set of anti-expectations. You know, this is how we did things in the corporate world, so therefore we must do them differently and in an opposite way if we're going to do them spiritually in a spiritual or a ministry context. Well, there are some differences in a ministry context of how things are done in education or corporate or w- corporate world or in the military. There are definitely some differences, but there are also 
also a lot of commonalities or a lot of similarities. And so rather than try to debate these with people over the years, what I've learned is that it's important for me as a ministry leader to lay out a foundation for uh, organizational planning or what I call it a perspective on organizational planning that takes seriously some of the distinctives of what it means to plan in a Christian context. I want to talk about those today. They're really, uh, they break into three categories, and uh, we'll talk about each one with some, with some passages of Scripture to support and maybe some perspectives or some illustrations for me to help you clarify what I mean. Now, my first perspective on organizational planning is what I call a spiritual perspective, a spiritual perspective. And I think it is important to affirm right up front in any planning process in a church or ministry organization that we're doing more than, uh, imi- than imitate, imi- uh, imitating a corporate planning model. We really are doing something that is spiritual. But in the context of having a spiritual perspective on planning, we discover immediately uh, that the Bible lays out some tensions, if you will, about what it means to plan in a spiritual context. Uh, for example, the Bible is really clear. Uh, we are instructed to plan for the future. For example, in Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, uh, the Proverbs writer says, Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer and gathers its food during harvest. The ant is held up as an example of planning for the future. And we're told to take the same kind of initiative, to lay out a plan so that we know where we're going and that we'll have the resources that we need to sustain us through difficult or challenging times that may be coming. But while on the one hand we are instructed to plan for the future, the Bible also warns us about living in the moment. In James 4, 13 to 15, the Bible says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord will li- wills, we will live and do this or that. And so these two passages form a bit of a tension, if you will. A spiritual tension in that we are instructed to plan for the future while at the same time we are warned to live in the moment. Uh, That's the tension that we have when we come to make plans from a spiritual perspective. We have to recognize both of these tensions are in play all through the process. Now the Bible also tells us that we're expected to set a definite course. It says in in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. This passage is, again, advising us to be diligent and that, the, and that our diligence will be to our profit, and we're warned that recklessness, in contrast to diligence, certainly leads to poverty or certainly leads to, to, uh, to a great need. So we're expected to set a definite course. But at the same time, we're charged to remain flexible to God's direction. Now, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. And so while on the one hand, we're told to plan diligently and to avoid being reckless, on the other hand, we're warned that all this planning that spews forth from us 
does not eclipse the capacity that God has to, in a word, set the course for our future. So, a spiritual perspective on planning has some tensions built in. We're instructed to plan for the future, while at the same time, live in the moment. We're expected to set a definite course, while at the same time, remaining flexible to God's direction. Uh, And there's more. We're warned against presumption, going back to the James passage. It says there, don't presume what your life will be like. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And it warns that life is like a vapor, and so all our planning can go up in smoke, so to speak, if we're not careful. But while we're warned against presumption about the future, there's also danger for not planning for the future. Again, back to the Proverbs 10.5, the son who gathers during summer is prudent. The one who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. And so there is this tension. Plan for the future, but live in the moment. Set a definite course, but remain open to God's direction. Uh, Don't presume on the future, but don't fail to plan. And so you have these spiritual tensions built in to the process. Now, how are these resolved? Well, they aren't really. These tensions um, are a holy experience of trusting God to help you find the balance between what he wants for you in the moment and what he's laying out for you to plan for in the future. Now, I've let, written two spiritual affirmations to help me understand this spiritual perspective. The first one is this. We will seek God's direction for our future. Yes, we are told to plan for the future. Yes, we are told to set a definite course for the future. And yes, we are told there is danger in not planning for the future. So we take that seriously. But that doesn't liberate us to just simply make plans in our own strength. No. Instead, it causes us to fall down on our knees in prayer and say, God, we need your plans for the future. We need you to help us to know what to do. We need you to give us guidance and direction. We want you to chart our course. And then, once we've asked God to do that, that leads me to my second affirmation. We will anticipate the future but not try to predict the future God has for us. Now, this is probably one of the best things I've learned about organizational planning over my career of leadership and ministry. When I first started out as a planner, uh, and I remember my very first organizational planning experience, it was, in a word, a disaster. And it was so bad for many reasons, but primarily because I made it far too detailed and far too complicated. I mean, I remember that first organizational plan that I tried to write was a five-year plan which laid out what the church would accomplish in every quarter for five years. Now, that sounds so ridiculous today, but in the moment that I was doing it, I thought I was being so intentional and so diligent to lay out this very concrete and defined plan. I've learned better over the years. It's so much better to ask God for his future and his future direction, but to not get bogged down in too many of the details because it's in the details where you cross the line from trying to anticipate the future God has for you rather than and slip over into predicting the future as you think it needs to be or as you as you predict or or, or as you determine that it will uh, it will turn out. Now, for example, in our current Um, planning model here at the seminary. Uh, We've identified some 
very significant future trends that we think impact our ministry, and we think we've identified some future directions that God wants us to go in the face of those trends. But rather than write a long, detailed plan about how to resolve them, we've instead written a very a much more general plan that says, these are the future trends we've discovered. This is the future response we believe God intends us to make. Now, we're trusting that moment by moment, God will give us the wisdom to know how to bring the future trends and the future opportunities uh, together so that we can make good decisions along the way to, uh, to solve these issues. Now, that is a much better planning model. It seeks God's direction, and it anticipates the future, but it doesn't try to predict the future by laying out an overly complex or overly concrete set of steps of what's going to happen going forward into the future. Now, again, that doesn't mean there can't be some concrete steps. Uh, we certainly write those, but we write those on much shorter time frames. For example, right now, the seminary is looking at a, a fresh 10-year statement of its mission and vision. But within that, we're only looking at a five-year statement within the goals that we want to accomplish in the next five years to fulfill that mission and vision. But even within that, we're breaking those goals down and only writing one-year action plans about each goal. So see the progression? Yeah, we have a 10-year mission and vision window, a five-year institutional goal window, but a one-year action item window, a one-year window of writing out what we actually plan to do. Because we're not trying to predict the future, what things are going to be like in seven years, and here's what we're going to do to do in seven years. Here's what we're going to be doing to accomplish that goal. That's way too detailed, way too predictive, and way too much of a straitjacket to put on the organization. Instead, it's better to say, here's the 10-year trajectory we're on, and here's some five-year big goals we think we need to work toward. But here's the one-year plans to get us down the road toward those goals. And rewriting those plans every, five, every year for the next five years will actually get us where we need to be. So the first thing that we need is a spiritual perspective where we ask God for, his, for our future and then we trust him to enable us to anticipate the future but not to attempt to predict the future or lock in too much the plans of how we're going to achieve his future. Now, a second important perspective on organizational planning in churches and ministry organizations is what I call a community perspective. Now, this perspective recognizes that churches and ministry organizations are more than a corporate organizational unit. We recognize we are a spiritual community. Now, a church certainly recognizes it's a community. It recognizes itself as the body of Christ or uh, a functioning unit of kingdom enterprise. And seminaries recognize themselves the same way, and most ministry organizations do. Now, the seminary knows we're not a church. We're not the same kind of spiritual community that a church is. But nevertheless, that doesn't mean we're not a spiritual community. We still are one. We're a group of people who've banded together to try to accomplish a common spiritual purpose or a common spiritual mission. And so we're more than a corporate organization. We are a spiritual community. Now, in the context of being a spiritual community, we believe some things. We believe in soul competency. We believe that everyone in our organization has the capacity to approach God themselves uh, through Jesus Christ and have direct access to God through prayer, to receive direct impressions from God by His Spirit, 
uh, to receive uh, direct information from God as he communicates to us through his word and by the spirit and perhaps even through other means. And so we have soul competency. And then secondarily, everyone in our organization uh, is, uh, is a spiritual priest and is a member of a part of what we would call the priesthood of the believer. Now, that doctrine can be abused and has been abused, but what it means at its core is that we have the capacity to have a relationship with God and to stand before God on behalf of each other in relationship with each other. We're we're priests before God for ourselves, and we're also priests for each other, representing each other in a way before God. So we have soul competency. We have priesthood of believer. And then third, we have the collective wisdom that comes from God's people. Now, because each person has soul competency, and because through the priest of the believer, we both have access to God ourselves and responsibility to represent others before God and build a relationship or a community of priests in relationship to God, that gives us the capacity collectively to have greater wisdom than we, indiv- than we individually have on our own. The Bible speaks about this repeatedly. In Proverbs fifteen twenty two, the Bible says, Plans fail when there is no counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction so that you may be wise later in life. And Proverbs 24.5 and 6 says, A wise warrior is better than a strong one, and a man of knowledge than one of strength. For you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. Now, a community perspective on planning values the input of the community in the process. That means that when uh, you want to make a good plan, that you take seriously how to access uh, the, the shared and collective wisdom of your community. Now, there's lots of ways, of course, to do this. You can do this with surveys. Uh, you can do this with focus groups. Uh, you can do this by interviews. Uh, you can do this by allowing people the opportunity to vet ideas and edit documents and provide written response as ideas start being developed uh, over time. Uh, you can do this by giving people access to information so that studies are, are, are made available to large numbers of people to read and process and think about and contribute uh, in terms of solutions. All of these things can be done to access the collective wisdom of God's people. Now, again, this is one of the big leadership changes in my life over my years of being in ministry leadership. I was far too much of a solo leader when I started out. Now I've come to value so much what it means to lead in an environment where there's a collective wisdom. Now, in my particular situation, I lead on a consistent basis with four other guys that are on the executive team here at Gateway. And I'll tell you, when the five of us are in agreement about something, we're almost always, almost always right. Now, occasionally we're not, but we're almost always right when the five of us agree on something. But when there's someone in the group who just doesn't agree, for whatever reason, we've learned to take a giant step back and say, what's going on here? Are we missing a detail? Is there a perspective that needs to be heard? Is the timing just not right? What's going on here? Because if we're not in lockstep agreement about something, there's generally a, that's generally an indication that we're not quite ready to make that particular decision. And I can tell you, uh, with very rare exceptions, when I have bucked the group and said, I'm president and this is what we're doing, we have almost always been wrong. Ah, it's painful to admit that. But I've learned that my individual judgment is not better than the collective judgment of the group of people that I work with.
Now, that assumes a couple of things, obviously. First of all, the team that I work with shares the core mission of the seminary, and so we're not having debates or arguments about our mission. We're only having debates and arguments about how to get it done more effectively. If you're having debates and arguments over the core mission, you probably aren't going to have unity about other things in your organization. But once you get that settled, that's a big first step. The second thing is I work with spiritually committed people who demonstrate on a daily basis the character of Jesus Christ and a personal humility that makes it easy to listen to them when they don't agree with you. And so when you have people who share your mission and have character that's demonstrated, including humility and decision-making, when you get that kind of people working together as a group and they make a unified decision, it's almost always the right decision. And when there's one or two in the group that are saying, this is not right, this is not the right time, this is not the right perspective, I just don't feel comfortable, you're almost always right to hold up until you get to the point where you're able to make the right call and make it in unity. Now, that's one side of what it means to have a community perspective. But let me also affirm another side. And that is, a community perspective also means that we affirm authority structures are, are spiritually beneficial and practically necessary to making final decisions and managing the implementation of plans. Now, let me say that again. A community perspective means that we affirm authority structures, that we know that they are spiritually beneficial, and they're practically necessary for both the final decision-making and implementation to really be done in an organization. And you may think, wait a second, you just got through saying that there was soul competency and priesthood of believer and uh, wisdom in plurality of decision-makers, and I totally affirm that. But in the context of having that going on, we also recognize the importance of having good authority structures that God has designed that, that show up in church and home and community and in organizations like ours so that you have a sense of continuity and, and direction of how decisions are going to be made. These two things can flow together beautifully. We use a, we're using a community process here at Gateway to make this current strategic plan, and it's being vetted by a small group of leaders who are tasked and working together to try to bring about a plan we can bring forward. But ultimately, that plan's going to go into our authority structure, which is recommendation from our administration onto our full board of trustees. And at that moment, our board will have the responsibility to make final decisions because that is the authority they've been given by the community let me say it again, by the community that we serve, which is Southern Baptist. And so the community has elected a board and given them a responsibility uh, to govern the seminary. And in the context of that governance, the board has said, we want to now engage the community of the seminary as aggressively as we possibly can to interface with this planning process so that we get the best information possible, the best input possible, the best ownership possible, and the most unity possible as the executive team finalizes what they're bringing forward to us so that we have the best of both worlds. We have our authority to make decisions coupled with the community's capacity to produce the best decision options possible. So, in, community, in the community perspective on organizational planning, it's important to remember that we will involve our community, we will work collegially, and work as much as possible toward unanimity, and we will trust our processes, <clears throat> particularly the authority structures we have in place, to affirm the entire organizational planning process and yet at the same time of affirming it, bring it to its best conclusion by ultimately making decisions and mandating implementation.
So on my foundation or my perspective of uh, my perspectives on organizational planning and my foundation, one keystone is spiritual perspective. A second keystone is community perspective. But the third keystone in my foundation on organizational planning is what I call a factual perspective. Ministry organizations and churches must be committed to data-driven decisions and concrete plans based on current realities, future possibilities, and intentional choices about the future. Now, quite frankly, a lot of churches and ministry organizations are not data-driven. They're driven by impulse. They're driven by perspective. They're driven by what the leaders hope for or would like to see happen or what they imagine the reality to be, but not data-driven. Now, it's hard for leaders to be data-driven because sometimes the data is not too complimentary. For example, here at Gateway, there's a lot of good, successful things going on, and I really like to point that out to people. But there's also some things going on that aren't that successful, and a good leader points out those things as well. Because it's in pointing out the reality of all that we're doing that we get the data before us that helps us to make the right decisions going forward. Now, Data-driven decisions doesn't mean you only look at the negative, you look at the positive as well. But it does mean that you take a good long look at the data, whatever the data is. One of my friends likes to remind me, facts are friends. Facts are friends. And boy, that's true. Because facts will help you to deal with reality, not with what you wish were true or what you hoped would be true or what you even think ought to be true, but what is true. So when you start looking at things like baptismal rates and uh, part uh, participation rates and membership rates, and you start looking at uh, quantifying the discipleship growth of people in your church or the membership growth of your church, or you start looking at uh, enrollment growth at the seminary or credit hour taken growth at the seminary, or you lo start looking at FTE production growth, and some of this you probably don't even know what I mean, but these are the kind of things we have to really analyze at the seminary if we're going to talk about data-driven decisions. Data-driven decisions are hard for churches and ministry organizations because sometimes leaders don't want to admit that not everything's going as well as we'd like for it to be. And we're afraid that people will not follow us if they know the truth about some of the shortcomings in our organizations. But that is just simply always opposite of what is true. Most followers know that everything's not perfect in an organization, and they actually esteem the leader more highly who will admit that and deal with reality rather than try to hide the facts and deal with a, uh, and make a plan based on a supposition rather than on true reality. So a factual perspective means that we're going to have a data-driven, that we're going to data-driven decisions that produce concrete plans and plans that we can actually measure, uh, that we can actually, that we can actually uh, achieve and measure and hold ourselves accountable to in a way that really does move the organization forward. Now, this also means that we plan based on the best information we have, but we remain flexible to new information as we move forward. Ministry, churches and ministry organizations are always changing. And as they change, that, those new data points have to be a reality. You know, I uh, once had a conversation with a person who said, this is how Southern Baptists do things, and this is why our convention should do things a certain way. And I said, now, why do you believe that? And he said, well, because when I moved here from, and he told me his state in the South, this is how we did things. And I said, my friend, you realize you've been here 15 years. He, he said, yeah. And I said, 
things in the state you came from have changed a lot in the last 15 years. I know. I've been there. I preached at that convention. They've changed significantly. If you went back there, you wouldn't even recognize the place. And so we need to do things based on what's happening now, not how you remember them at some time in your past. And so factual perspective means we'll, based on the, we'll, we'll plan based on the best information we have and we'll remain flexible as new information becomes available to us, we won't just remember how things used to be or how things were or how we think things still are because that's how they were five years ago, but instead we'll say, no, what are the facts today and what do we need to plan on based on what we now know to be true about our situation? Well, this podcast today is about foundations for organizational planning. It's not about the whole process. I mean, that would take me many podcasts to cover, but it does lay out a foundational perspective for planning in churches and ministry organizations. Three keystones, a spiritual perspective, a community perspective, a factual perspective. That forms the foundation for what I think is a healthy model or a healthy perspective on what it means to plan in churches and ministry organizations. So let that inform you and then build on that and create a strategy for leading out in your planning process that rests on that good foundation. I think you'll find you'll be successful on uh, various models you can choose as long as they're erected on such a good foundation. Well, hope that helps. Lead on.